0: Hello and welcome once again to episode 87 of Code Completion. We are a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So last week was WWDC and there was a ton of new information uh, that came out. Uh, So we decided to pick like one focus group of that um, and focus on it. Uh, so Swift UI specifically got a ton of useful additions this year, and I think it's—I don't know if like this marks its glow-up moment because Apple did uh, specifically call out like, "Hey, we kind of expect this to be the future for our platforms," and yeah. AppKit and UIKit are uh, still supported, like Objective C, but kind of on their way out, um, and they—they uh, they strongly held held that opinion whereas lots of people like on twitter as usual are like well that's great and all but swiftui is not uh ready yet um and it's it's very interesting because you have you definitely have two camps of people a camp that is completely fine using swiftui for everything and seems to run into very few uh issues with it like in the grand scheme of building a a well-built app Uh, And then you have people who, like, don't touch it with a 10-foot stick because they're kind of afraid of uh, what -hmm. it might do. And I think this comes down to, like, the experience that you get when using a lot of SwiftUI more so than the maturity of the framework because there are loose edges and, like, don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. It's not the perfect framework. Um, and I don't think this year's additions necessarily make it the perfect framework either. Uh, but if you do get to know it quite a bit, uh, then you you learn where those loose edges are and you either don't use them in that way or you uh, work around them very easily by tapping into UIView or NSView representable. Um, sure. and that allows you to get most of the functionality that you would otherwise not have uh, in Swift UI. Like, I would say most of the additions to Swift UI this year are not necessarily additions to Swift UI core, though there are some pieces, which we'll get into, which are relevant there. Um, but they're basically just wrap like new wrappers around existing code uh, that make things make more sense. Um, so. Yeah, if if you have had trouble using SwiftUI uh in an app, uh and you were per- perhaps just like using it in one place and it like bit you, uh I would not say that that's the opportunity to say like SwiftUI uh is no good at all. Uh I would go ahead and instead say probably start off with one of Apple's excellent tutorials um yeah. because those will get you into the mindset of how to use SwiftUI effectively. Um, and if you are using SwiftUI effectively, then you will run into less of the sharp edges uh, that still exist in the framework that might never necessarily go away. It, there are sharp edges because the framework is not really meant to be used in that, in that way or because those parts of the framework rely heavily on bridging uh, UIKit or AppKit to SwiftUI UI. And therefore, there's a ton of moving parts that might break at any one given moment. Um, so uh, I had like a, a a deep dive on this thought process on Twitter. So I'll link the thread uh, in the show notes. Um, but th- that's like where would say SwiftUI stands? What, what would you say, Spencer?
1: Yeah, I think you're exactly right where it seems like there are a lot of kind of, <clears throat> I guess I would call them like quality of life improvements, but nothing like um, I can't, now I can't remember exactly how you said it, but nothing kind of to its core, but kind of some, um, yeah, ease of use type of thing. So like one thing I can think of is I, I'm fairly sure we've talked about this in a, in a previous episode, but like, um, making two views have the same width, right. And kind of mm-hmm. figuring that out. And Dimitri shared an awesome uh, snippet of code that would do that. Um, in one of the sessions, and I can't remember which one, I've, they're all blending together. <laughs> um, they go over how you can make uh, like buttons have the same width, or I can't remember if it's buttons or segmented controls, but like it's you know three buttons with some short text, some long text, and some other medium text maybe. Um, and SwiftUI's kind of behavior would be to uh, just size it appropriately to the size of the text, but he the whole thing was what if you want them all to be the same width? And so they go into some new um, API that will let you sort of say, hey, uh, you know, basically size this according to whatever you want. And then in that case, he said, make sure that it will fit whatever the largest text is and then have those all be equal widths. And so sort of a quality of life thing where uh, you could do that before, but now it's it's probably going to be less code that you have to write, and it's more of a built-in thing. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that that was kind of my takeaway. I mean, there are some new things, uh, but anything that you could do, you can probably just do a little easier now in some cases. Um, yeah. Like the, you, oh, go for it.
0: It, it requires less... Uh less proficiency to get where everyone wanted to be, if that makes any sense.
1: Exactly. Like the first example that we have here is layout. And one of the things that I came to Dimitri for probably about a year ago was how to lay out uh, that number pad in LumaFusion, kind of have everything be equal widths. I, you know, I say like, I want this to be like four buttons wide or yeah, four buttons wide, like six buttons, uh, uh vertically uh you know how do i how do i lay those out and some have different sizes and stuff um that was something i couldn't figure out on my own and i needed dimitri to help me with that now there's this new layout api that you know has built an api for a grid and it makes sizing those things very very easy where before i could do that with dimitri's help but now i could probably figure it out on my own and just get that done to have this like hard-coded uh grid in where it's not changing so um, again, just improvements and, um, ease of use kind of APIs. Yeah, So,
0: so, so grid is a specific type of layout and it works kind of like lazy H grid or lazy V grid, except, uh, instead of not knowing the complete size of right. your view in one or the other dimensions, it does, uh, it calculates every sub view and it takes those into account to lay them out appropriately into different rows. And you can have... Different uh, views span different rows. And it all takes uh, that into account pretty nicely and pretty succinctly. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, Grid, uh, HStack, and VStack are all now part of a new layout protocol. Um, And layout protocol, I believe, is uh, a protocol that inherits from view. Um, So you are a view automatically. But you get two magical methods that allow you to get the size of your subviews. Um, Mm -hmm. and determine what size they should be, Uh, and second, to position those subviews where you want them to be. So uh, this is kind of like the magic piece that was missing in the layout engine that gives you direct control over uh, how big stuff is downstream uh, and where you Mm -hmm. want it to be. Uh, In the past, you would have had to mess around with preference keys to pass the, the, the view sizes upstream, Um, Mm -hmm. and then to reframe them literally with dot frame to give them a new size um, or uh, to position them with offset within a top leading Z stack. So not ideal, but still possible. Um, And uh, this gets rid of a whole ton of gotchas with that because that could create a feedback loop where you ask for the size of the sub view, then you set the size and then therefore the size of the sub view changes. So it tells you there's a new size and mm-hmm. if that stabilizes you're fine but if that never stabilizes it's going to basically be an infinite loop uh i don't think it would stall the program but everything would flash back and forth or it would crash uh if you te- like hit a certain attribute and the if you looked at an attribute the wrong way i'm sure you've all seen a SwiftUI crash where it mentions like oh there's an attribute involved and you have no idea what's going on uh yeah. so uh, that's generally caused by like messing around with preference keys, uh, to be honest. So it's good to be gone with that uh, kind of uh, hindrance and be able to directly get the size of subviews and account for that in your layout. So that uh, enables all sorts of things. You can have a flowing layout where just like text flows to the next line, uh, you can have views flow to the next line um, and have that all just work. Um, you can go ahead and have a waterfall layout. Um, I think this was made uh, iconic by Pinterest, where you just have like different mm-hmm. columns um, and things just flow to the next column in a very natural way. Um, or you can have a crazy wackadoodle circular layout, um, yeah. and this this would just be like a circle, um, and that's that's how things are and uh, how things you want uh, how you want them to be. So um, all sorts of layouts are now possible with this. Um, And one of the coolest ones that I think is a little undermentioned was view that fits. And view that that fits um, is special in that it takes its subviews one at a time and it will take the first one that fits. Uh, So it asks how big it wants to be. And if there's not enough room for that, it goes for the next one uh, and so on and so forth. Um, And this is great for adaptable layouts because you can go ahead and... Just have a, a few variations instead of having a geometry reader at the top level that injects a width all the way down so that way you know exactly how much space you have and then you have an if condition based on the width and then if it's between this number and this number you have this layout if it's between this number and this number you have this layout uh, and that generally was a huge pain uh to get exactly right correct
1: yeah absolutely uh going back to that same wwc session i think it's called uh compose custom layouts with swift ui or something like that um he goes over that as well and it's very cool to see um in his example uh, i can't remember if it was a segmented control or not i think it was uh but with those equal width buttons there was a point where i can't remember if it was due to like localization and the text being longer but somehow he got that segmented control to be way out of the bounds of the width of the screen and so he used view that fits uh to um, basically say, okay, well, if there isn't enough width that way, each button has its own full width, and then it was able to kind of correctly present those views in a way that would actually fit on the screen. So um, I'm super interested in that because uh, not that we're using SwiftUI a ton in LumaFusion, but we you know, support iPad and um, Mac with the um, Apple Silicon versions, but we also support iPhones. And so uh, making everything fit very well in a bunch of different screen sizes is going to be really cool. Um, So, yeah, that, I thought that was a a super cool way of doing that. And I mean, uh, he goes over, like going back to like the circular views, he has an example of um, like ranking pets basically. And it was like a dog, a cat and a fish um, in this like very cool sort of first, second and third kind of vertically, uh, but then the actual views were kind of in this triangular, circular, rotating view. It was very cool to see kind of the flexibility there. But also mm-hmm. with that, uh, we'll we'll kind of I'm sure get into this more as we go on. But it was all animatable, and that I think was a huge part of like everything that I saw with SwiftUI. Is like everything is animatable, whether it's these layouts going from, you know, again, like like the view that fits, maybe something changes on the screen and then um, one, the view that you were using doesn't work and it has to go to the next view. That's all animatable. Uh, He goes to like, oh, uh, right. So like Dimitri mentioned, H stack and B stack are also layouts. And so what if everything is first place, everything has the same amount of votes in that dog, uh, cat or fish thing? Well, you can't make a sort of everything's fit in first place with a circular layout. And so he goes from an uh, that circular custom layout to an H stack, putting everything on that first row. And it just animated all very fluidly. So that's, I think, super exciting to just make everything um, transition well between you know layouts or, or whatever it is, uh, different charts and everything. So super exciting that that's kind of... A very it seems very much like a first class citizen first you know uh very uh front of mind issue to make sure that everything animates well. So
0: hmm Yeah, and that's all made possible with a new type erased any layout. Um because mm-hmm. all layouts essentially work the same way in that they have the same sub views. So this is a special type erased view that you actually are allowed to and encouraged to use. Uh, because it will not throw away its subviews when it happens to be a different layout. Um, mm-hmm. And that's the key piece. Um, and I think uh, part of this was the fact that uh, the closure that's now passed to layout was is not necessarily passed as an initializer. Uh, and this is a key piece, because when you... Make in any layout, you basically have your if conditional. Oh, if it's this, it's going to be an H stack. If it's this, it's going to be a circular. If it's this, it's going to be a V stack. Yeah. Um, and you make your your stack at that point. And then afterwards, you're calling your stack as if it were a function with curly braces. Um, and this is what the do or call as, I think it's called. Um, there's like a new, uh, a call as function. There's a, there's a specific protocol and feature in Swift where you can have a type be called as a function. Um, and wow. I think they're using it here uh, to uh, basically inject the sub views later um, and that's what makes any layout be special. So uh, it's not just uh, an any type like uh, Swift kind of introduced this year um, and we'll probably get over uh, go over those in a future episode but uh, this is a brand new way to kind of shift layouts in very, very interesting ways because it gives you a lot of flexibility. So next, I would say the next biggest like thing that I'm excited about are new support for good previews throughout Xcode. <laughs> so it seems like Apple focused a ton on get making sure that previews in SwiftUI uh, don't break on you anymore. Uh, they are always running. You don't have to make a ton of like in the past, you were limited to 15 previews like that you make yourself. Uh, now you don't have to make those 15 previews. There are like automatic preview sets for dynamic type, uh, accessibility, nice. device sizes. that's just all supported. Uh, so you don't really have to make a ton of previews yourself and you can just take advantage of Xcode's pre-built views uh, into uh, these different previews. <laughs> um and i i am definitely excited for this
1: yeah that's super cool that's one thing that we talked about last week where we i think we both lamented that previews were not quite up to snuff at least what we thought they could be so i'm interested to see i didn't catch a ton of that and maybe i just wasn't paying attention but um did they mention anything with like um I, I don't know. I mean, maybe, the, maybe the, the sessions themselves are a little misleading. It seems like the previews just always, always, always update, you know, and refresh as soon as they put in more code, like their code snippets. Uh, did mm-hmm. they mention any improvements there with, like, um, modifying code, it actually resuming on its own, or...
0: Yeah, they did. So, uh, specifically, they called out that uh, the update cadence is now dynamic, so it's no longer... Oh, if you're typing and you now have some like errors, it's going to pause your preview and then like nothing is going to work. Um, so along with Xcode 14's new like error handling, where if you have, uh, if you have a source code error, uh, then as you start fixing it, it'll kind of gray it out because it knows you're kind of working on it, right? You, you've recognized that the error exists and Xcode has recognized that you're trying to fix it. Um, so it stops like getting in your way. Uh, and it seems like the previews will just continue running during this period. They just won't necessarily update until the next point in time where it's compilable. Uh, so this means that the previews basically should never pause. Um, they also mentioned that uh, it will, like, try and automatically build an app to kind of contain the preview in the case of packages and stuff like this. Um However, I still ran into like some compatibility here in uh, the app we're working on. Uh, so I'm not sure if it still needs some uh, specific work. If I needed to mark all my previous public, I don't really know exactly what what was wrong there. But uh, there are still some, uh, some parts that seem to be in flux in this new beta of Xcode. Uh, but generally speaking, uh, it seems like things should be a ton... Uh, more capable uh, in the long run. That's great
1: to hear. That's, yeah, something that's been a sticking point for me. is just <laughs> You change one thing, and like you said, as soon as Xcode realizes there's an error, it's like, no, I got to stop. I can't do this. Um, mm-hmm. So that's good. That's awesome. I think one huge thing also, uh, it's not necessarily related to Swift UI, but just Xcode in general has... has been getting better and better. Last couple, like Xcode 12, I think was pretty good. And then Xcode 13 has been good. I think the, uh, (laughs) the, the icon switch, uh, in the files was like the weirdest thing, but overall, you know, auto-completion is faster. Maybe that's just because of, you know, having a MacBook pro that is actually okay. Uh, but they're making good improvements to Xcode. Um, we were talking about a couple of them, in our in our Slack group and Ben mentioned one, I think, um I can't exactly remember if it was initializers or codable, like kind of automatic. Oh yeah, I think it was if you if you start writing out like the uh coding keys, it will like automatically start writing the um the encode to encoder and in it from decoder uh implementation. So that's pretty cool. Good yeah. Good. Things to just speed up the everyday, you know, kind of Quality mundane of code that you write. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah, I, I'm sure we can fill an entire episode with Xcode 14 improvements. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, improvements. So we will, um, because uh, it's sometimes hard to think of topics. So, um, <laughs> like, I can imagine a whole episode on Xcode 14, a whole episode yeah. on Swift. Um, we, we've we got content coming. Uh, that's for sure. Like, comment, subscribe. Um, I guess that only works for, like, half of what we're doing. <laughs> Right, because we're on YouTube technically. So, like, comment, yeah. subscribe on YouTube or share with your friends and family on podcasts. There we go. um Talking about more improvements to SwiftUI, uh, if you happen to be developing a Mac app or if you happen to be developing an iPad app for one of these newfangled M1 Macs, mm. M1 iPads, blah, uh, now you have a whole bunch of new options for windowing uh, with SwiftUI, which is like, finally um i always found it like really weird that they revealed uh oh you have an app-based like thing for swift ui but like we have no story for windowing at all um and it
1: it just felt like incomplete um right oh yeah for sure i mean that was one of the things that as soon as we started kind of um internally knowing that we were going to build or release the app for uh, Apple Silicon Max. You know, we started looking into okay, let's build uh, a preferences window and uh, you know, kind of these these ancillary windows that you would normally find on a Mac app. Um, but you it's a you, settings you couldn't
0: window now, Spencer.
1: Right. Sorry. Um, but yeah, now like as of this week. Um, but you you couldn't do it unless you made your app a Catalyst app, and then you'd have to you know, have an AppKit target where you could actually import AppKit and, you know, you'd have to communicate that way. And it was just not not possible. So having this uh, actually be a part of a sort of Swift UI that you could actually use in an iPad with that stage manager, stage, yeah, stage manager, um, or um, on a on an Apple Silicon build of the app is awesome. And they added, um, it's going to... So they I think they had like three um kind of window what do they call them, window groups or window styles? I can't remember. Uh, but they added that settings one for a preferences window. They also added one that the name is gonna escape me to add menu bar um, uh, status kind of
0: menu yeah. UI status item blah. Menulets yeah. in old parlance, menu extras in modern parlance. Yes whatever you want to call them. So.
1: Yeah, but now kind of expanding out to actually make, again, SwiftUI sort of a feasible thing that you could write an entire app uh, for a Mac with just SwiftUI not having to dive into AppKit. So that's cool, too.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and as you said, this goes over to the iPad as well now. Um, Mm -hmm. So if you want to make like a single window um, that has nothing to do with anything else, it's not going to multiply out with different scenes or anything like that. And right. then now that's, that's now possible. You can go ahead and make a window. You can open it from anywhere, um, by, by like an identifier of your choosing. Um, and that just works, uh, which is super, super neat. Um, uh, so I, I, I really do think this is like a, a big finally moment, uh, for, mm-hmm. uh, Swift UI and I'm looking forward to seeing where they take this further because I'm sure there are aspects that are still missing. Um, once you like dig deeper than the, than the, the, the top layer here. Um, but, uh, this goes directly into kind of how we can navigate within windows as well. And, uh, navigation view is on its way out. Uh, and to replace that, we now have navigation split view and navigation stack.
1: Yeah. So this is one that I didn't see, uh, much of, but one thing I do remember, and Dimitri's is definitely going to be able to, um, probably correct me and uh, explain it in much more detail. But um, I think one of the big things with these navigation stacks is um, it was sort of dynamic to the point where you could like have, uh, you could basically define, you know, like on an iPad that has a bunch of width, uh, you could have, it seemed like separate views or something for kind of the list that shows up on the side and then on the right and then it would automatically kind of, like if you're on an iPhone, it would automatically make that go into just a single view, like a list view. And then you tap on that and it would just sort of um, convert it over to just a, like basically a detail view, uh, like a, a Segway detail view in some way. I Yeah. I'm not doing a great way of explaining it. I'll pass it over to Dimitri.
0: <laughs> yeah, so as you mentioned, it kind of was a UI split view controller and a navigation UI navigation controller in one. Um, and it did too much, I think, because it did not allow you to customize the exact behavior very well as a result of doing too much. Um, so one benefit of having the navigation uh, now be split up like this is you have a ton more options as far as what you want to do. So navigation split view is purely just the split view aspect where you either get a multi-column layout, uh, like two or three on larger devices, or you get a single column layout um, on on I- iOS devices or iPhones, mm-hmm. um, or just smaller width uh, multitasking Um, scenarios. Now that's the navigation split view. The navigation stack uh, acts like a navigation controller, but instead of just being magic and from SwiftUI's point of view, you just have navigation links and they automatically do something. You have state directly attached to the navigation stack. Um, And this is important because it allows you to go ahead and record the state or set the state directly. So you can have a navigation path or a list of navigation items. Uh, You pass that to your navigation stack. And then if you have a navigation link, you can automatically allow it to append to the navigation stack that it's within. Um, Or you can go ahead and skip navigation links entirely and manually add or remove uh, from your navigation stack and the way navigation oh. stack redirects to the next screen is you have a bunch of handlers for the type of data that you might encounter within your path. So right. if you have a bunch of homogeneous data like uh, you're looking at uh, menus in a recipe app for instance or a restaurant uh, finding app, for instance, uh, then you can have a handler for a menu. Um, and then anytime a menu thing gets pushed, it will build that view. Um, or you can have a handler for something else you can have mixed handlers um, and they will each individually kind of go in different directions on your behalf so uh, there's a whole ton of flexibility there uh, that really allows you uh, to customize the navigation in a way that just wasn't possible like you used to be able to have like a state that you can say oh the navigation link is enabled or not uh, and it never Uh worked uh especially for like state restoration it was really really broken uh but now you can have uh your navigation stack like have that state be completely restorable um and then you will be able to just reuse it when your app launches back up again and you can say hey the state is this and the navigation stack will be like okay i'm I'm displaying this um, and, of course, these things compose, so you can have a navigation stack within a split view, um, and it knows exactly what to do. They'll combine into one stack if you're on a smaller device. Um, I don't know what happens if you stack navigation stacks, um, but I imagine uh, something will happen. <laughs> so who knows what. Um, that's kind of a problem with these kind of declarative things is you really don't know like where the magic kind of breaks down. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, this is like uh an easier to reason with scenario that apple can build testing around so uh hopefully that can become a supported configuration and it has a known like outcome uh they combine or you get two bars one of those two scenarios right um so that's down to apple to figure out uh but
1: yeah as long as it's consistent right <laughs> exactly uh, so okay so we've definitely talked about this in a past episode where I think, I think it was you. Maybe it was Ben who said, um, "You know, SwiftUI is basically maybe I don't know if you said not ready or just it's very janky to kind of get a full app working with SwiftUI because of the issues with like navigation view. So, do you think mm-hmm. uh, this stuff will solve that problem for the most part or completely to the point where I think it- navigation becomes a lot more of a feasible thing?
0: It ultimately depends if you can customize the navigation bar, and I think Mm. uh, they said you can. I did not watch every uh, session. Uh, There are over 175 sessions, which is like way more than any single person can uh, watch in a week. It kind of reminds me of like past WWDCs where you could watch six sessions a day, (laughs) like that was your limit because that's you have to go into a room and wait for it, and there's a schedule, and that was that. Um, But now, since there are a whole bunch of smaller sessions. Uh, it's a lot easier to just kind of plow through a bunch of them, uh, mm. but even at that at that blistering pace, you cannot like watch all of them. So um, uh, we will be continuing to to collect information as time goes on, uh, and I have a few uh, a few ideas in that regard to make it a little easier. Uh, but yeah, uh, if if you can customize everything about the navigation experience, this might be something that you would want to use in your custom custom UI app, right? If mm-hmm. there are still some issues with customizing what things look like, then maybe you want to hold off using this just yet, or if you still need to use iOS uh, 15 and 14 sure. support, then you can't use this anyways. Um, yeah. So continue doing what you were doing. But it kind of sets a, new, a good precedence for uh, future apps to be able to use it. Of course, if you're using the standard UI, then go for it, right? Um, Mm -hmm. there's very, if there's little, you need to customize and there's little, you need to worry about breaking, right? The more hacks you have, uh, traditionally, the more breaking will occur in future OS's. Um, and this is, this is why I usually suggest like, go ahead and have some snapshot testing for all your views, regardless of if you're going to be breaking them or if Apple will be breaking them. At least when a new beta comes out, you can be proactive about installing that in a VM, uh, or getting that latest Xcode uh, and trying it out, just running through all your tests, and you'll know instantly Apple broke this, 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 and this, and you're no longer going to be surprised when uh, when uh, the new release comes out and like everything doesn't work. So you'll have a lot of a lot more time to either tell Apple, hey, you broke this, this, uh-huh. this, and this, or just work around it and like move on with your life. Uh, But generally speaking, it's not a whole ton of work. It just sucks when it's a surprise, right? Um, So as much as you can do work for yourself so it isn't a surprise, then I think that um, is the ultimate benefit.
1: Cool. Well, it sounds like if it's not here yet, as far as navigation goes, it'll probably be relatively soon. And I think they've probably seen the writing on the wall where people really didn't like the way that navigation worked. Um, They've made this change and hopefully it's a good one. And if it's not all the way there, that it sort of comes uh, maybe next year. So Mm -hmm. Um, another cool thing that they announced is Swift charts, which is awesome because um, like when I was teaching, um, actually at both boot camps, Something that students always wanted to do was put charts in their apps. I don't know why, but it was always like a very constant thing. And they're like, I know exactly where this this is
0: going. So I love this.
1: (laughs) We're going to use this CocoaPod Potter. We're going to use this, uh, this Swift package, which, okay, great. It's a Swift package. That's fine. But you know, you're having to, it's a third party library. It's cool to have something first, uh, first party. And again, It's so cool. You you definitely watch the the session or two. I think there are two sessions on Swift Charts. And um, it's just amazing how little you need to get going to get... Or, yeah, how little you need to sort of provide in order to get a chart up. And if you're like, oh, I I don't like this bar chart. I'd rather have it be a line or whatever. uh, You change one thing and it's like, okay, here you go. Uh, You don't have to really provide, like... Here are the limits. It will automatically sort of set limit, uh, or I don't really know what you would call it, like the the maximum X and Y values or whatever uh, for your charts. It will, it can just automatically do that for you. Uh, very sort of, yeah, I don't know, easy to kind of get up and running. And a lot of customizability, you can have different symbols for each of your different um like bars or your different lines and everything each point in your line so um i'm glazing over a lot but super cool and also again animatable go, there's a just one super quick example is they have a bar chart of like um i can't remember exactly what it was like a food truck or something two cities uh, going from like san francisco to cupertino or something and all, the the chart itself it's like seven days in a week how well they do in sales or something Um, and then, you know, he switches between the two cities and the, the bars just animate straight, uh, between each other. And it's, it's all very satisfying. So good stuff there. So I don't know what I would use the Swift charts, um, framework for, but it's super cool. And I want to just try incorporating it into something just to, you know, try it out.
0: Yeah. Anytime you need to use data. Um, and there, there were a few additional sessions as well that showed you like, how to choose your data effectively, and not just like how to use the framework, but how to think mm-hmm. about that. Um, and I think all of those are definitely worth uh, watching just to expand like uh, the range of possibilities that you have.
1: Was I did I go where you thought I was going with the teaching and everyone yeah. wanting to use
0: <laughs> that was it. charts? I, I knew exactly. It's like oh, you mentioned students and charts. I knew exactly what was coming. <laughs> Uh, that was such a uh, a reoccurring uh, yeah. thing, and I was I was disappointed that no one tried to build their own chart because it's not necessarily difficult. It's difficult yeah. to build the perfect charting library, that I'll give you. But if you have a single chart in mind and you need to build that, um, it's not like the end of the world. It's oftentimes very easy, whether it's in SwiftUI or. Uh, whether it's in UI kit, you just need to like think about the problem and how to solve it, um, and that's oftentimes one of the things that as a developer you end up encountering a lot, like needing to solve a particular problem. And it's it's great being able to just reach out to like a third party library and move on, uh, mm-hmm. but it's also great practice to kind of force yourself to think around that problem and how would you uh, solve it. That's that's what makes. Uh, you graduate from being a junior developer to something higher than that um, is being able to like adapt in almost any situation uh, quickly, right? And you only are able to do that if you do build up a ton of experience doing a ton of different things.
1: Uh, cool, though that you know there's first party support, and I don't know for things like that again, like a charting library. There are a bunch of charting libraries that exist. Um, and I think there are some probably pretty well maintained ones, but it's always always nice to have like a little peace of mind where it's first there's first party support, and you know that it's either going to be supported for a long time, if not indefinitely, uh, if not also updated and you know improved over time, and just kind of I don't know. For me, it's a little peace of mind.
0: Yeah, there are very few frameworks that Apple has outright just dropped um without like supporting very long term uh so if apple does come out with something you can uh you can at least be guaranteed that it won't like go away it might never change again it might be exactly where it started with uh but it's going to continue to be available uh and generally it won't break it might break um over time uh, but that's only because they found a new shinier way of doing it, and they're kind of focusing on that um so there usually is something to move to but uh this is if this like makes up your livelihood of being able to make apps, part of that is making sure that the technologies that you rely on continue to work, whether that's from Apple or from a third party library uh so that's that's on you to kind of make sure that things continue to like uh exist long term so uh if something does break in a beta then it's half of your responsibility to let apple know unfortunately uh that's this is the case i hate that it is but it is kind of your responsibility if you rely on it and this will like completely uh tank everything that you have you need to make uh that known to apple because that's your only chance of having them fix it or you need to move on to using a different technology or uh, switching platforms completely. Like that's the, those are the things that you need to think about when you do rely on uh, another party, basically. Whether it's a first party for your platform or a third party. Uh, you are dependent on them in some way. So uh, you, can, you can point blame and say, like, hey, they broke my thing and I don't like this anymore. Um, or you can be proactive (laughs) about it in in a way that uh, can be useful. It just sucks in both (laughs) both, uh, scenarios, of course, but uh, that's the reality of it. And uh, yeah, we are just a single person compared to a giant behemoth of uh, who knows what they're thinking, right?
1: Yeah. At the very least, like I think you mentioned last week, um, better to present feedback now while everything's in beta where people are actually people at apple are actually going to be looking at the feedback especially for all of these beta features and hopefully they can get a fix in before it gets released and you know Mm -hmm. everything is also a
0: great time to sneak in any bugs from older (laughs) (laughs) os's oh this started in (laughs) ios 16 uh and then they're gonna actually look at it so um nice That's that's a a pro tip for all the people that hate Feedback Assistant. This is your one chance to make it actionable. Um, Yeah, moving on to other parts in SwiftUI. uh, We have the ability, finally, uh, to present share sheets and the photo picker uh, natively, like directly in uh, SwiftUI. This includes also uh, half sheets with custom detents, so you can uh go ahead and have a native looking UI without needing to build it all yourself which is always nice.
1: Yeah, that's good. Uh the I uh, the half sheets with the with custom detents were were something that I I don't think I I've tried to make one in Swift UI but I definitely tried to make one in in UI Kit. It's you know it not half hard screen.
0: Yeah. That's all you like, get.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, not awesome. So a uh, little customizability there, built inness. Again, just first party support is always great. So, um, there's a cool new transferable protocol, and I started watching a session, the session on um, transferable, and I don't think I quite fi- uh, finished it, but uh, I believe it's more or less just a protocol to sort of facilitate. Uh, get, correct me if I'm wrong. I know this is part of it, but it could be there could be a larger. Um sort of end goal for it but it seems like a lot of it is the ability to uh, transfer whatever data between um either windows and or different apps is that kind of the main goal of transfer yes
0: so if you're familiar with app kit and a little bit of it in ui kit because i think hardly any apps uh touch on it uh there is a concept of an item provider and this is a like I don't remember if it's a base class or a protocol, um, but there are a ton of like things that you can do to encode your objects, so that way they Mm -hmm. can go onto the pasteboard, which is the base uh, piece of functionality for drag-and-drop and copy-paste and and, um, sharing and all sorts of different things. So uh, Transferable rewrites all of that and probably... Uh, still does the the item provider in the background for compatibility uh, reasons, but it gives you a results builder. Like uh, it's a it's a simple protocol with yeah. like one one or two functions that you need to implement, um, and those functions are actually result builders where you basically give your preferred like way of vending that data. Um, and then you can give proxy variations of that data like you can give um, sub variations where it doesn't include all the rich formatting for instance um, and it gives you a very nice api to brand to connect swift's codable finally into yeah. AppKit and UIKit, rather than using uh ns secure coding uh which is just like not really compatible with it right you'd have to uh, turn it into data and give it the secure coding, or manually uh, implement multiple ways of encoding and uh, decoding your data. Um, it didn't work with structs, um, so there's all sorts of like missing pieces to that puzzle, and they finally come together with transferable. Uh, so, although it is especially useful with SwiftUI, um, it's also kind of a new a new take on the whole system as a whole, um, which is welcome at this point
1: yeah it seems really cool that um it seems like this is almost like um obfuscated like blanket layer uh, above like codable and stuff where it's like if you have something that can be encoded and decoded using codable it would use that but it also had things for like transferring urls and just um like sending the location w- where the whatever you're transferring wherever you're transferring to could just grab that URL and, and grab the data from there and instead of have, having to pass the data yourself and all that stuff. So I think there was one other type that I also did. I can't quite remember, but yeah, super cool.
0: Going on from here, there are a bunch of smaller uh, little things that got added. Uh, one of my favorites is colors. Now can get like an automatic gradient that just works for the color. Um, yes. You just have your color and you say dot gradient and you put like zero effort into it. Um, If you want to tweak it, like you have to still do that yourself. But if you just wanted something quick and something uh, dirty and possibly good enough, like that makes some super clean code that you can just go ahead and use and not worry too much about it. Similarly, you can add inner and outer shadows on almost anything now. Um, And this uh, can lead to, once again, very ugly UIs, or it can be uh, the piece of detail that was missing uh previously to like really make your ui pop um and not needing to do a whole bunch of work of like duplicating your shapes to have a second shadow and all that uh is a huge huge benefit i would say
1: yeah the examples of uh for example the color gradients were amazing where they had some you know i think there were circular icons with just an uh, like an sf symbol in them And they look good, but they were fairly plain. And then they just added the gradient and it just made it look so nice so easily. Um, So even for little things like that, very exciting, but also just kind of something built in for whenever you do want a gradient um, is going to be really nice. And I'm super stoked for that in the shadows.
0: Yeah. Pro tip when you're using shadows, never put an X offset, just Y down. Like it. that's, that's the, the easiest way to get a good looking shadow. I've seen so many people use shadows and it's always like off to the angle and, mm-hmm. and that's always a bad looking shadow. Uh, so if you want a good looking shadow, just give it a little bit of why, um, a, a nice, a nice offset for the blur. Uh, and, and you're more or less good. Uh, you don't have to go further. The less, less is better. Um, yeah. as, as is with most things. Um, it's just a, a, an extra piece of detail to really add, uh, rather than distract
1: yeah make it subtle
0: um and with all these like almost all these properties are now animatable so you can transition between colors you can transition between uh shadows you can transition between type uh which is like the the biggest like mind-blowing thing i don't know if it works between fonts but it works between font sizes and weights uh and everything just like morphs and it's like so pretty to look at uh especially in slow-mo so uh now you can like crank down your animations and make them obnoxiously slow if you really want to uh it will still (laughs) look really nice and pretty uh so you can do the opposite of what i just said um but uh yeah i i am definitely looking forward to playing around with this
1: yeah for sure
0: and then the final thing uh that uh got added uh that i remember at least um, is the ability to go ahead and specify a, line, a ranged line limit on text uh, fields. So basically, you can say, hey, this text field should be at least five lines, but up to 10 lines. So you say line limit oh. 5 dot 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 10. Um, okay. And what this means is that your text field is going to be sized as if there were five lines in it, um, even if there aren't. So as you start typing, you can get right up to the edge of it, and then it will start to grow and then once it hits the edge of that it will stop um and that was like a great addition um that i didn't even think i needed but now i know i would want to use like it's a very obvious addition
1: yeah that's actually a great idea i think that's super cool um do they have that same thing for text now or is it just for text fields
0: I think it's just for text fields text uh, I, I would imagine it would still work with text as well I mean like why not it's yeah. the whole point of having these properties just be yeah. more generic um, but yeah I, I would say it has less effectiveness for text though I guess if I it's a dynamic so. text then it has it has its use um, but yeah I, I think this is really cool and it's kind of made possible also um, by additions made uh, to UIKit to allow things to grow more freely. So there's mm-hmm. a new UI hosting configuration that you can attach to oh, yeah. uh, table views and collection views. And this allows the contents of a cell to be SwiftUI. As long as you don't use any uh, UI view controller representables, um, that's the like one gotcha because you're not in a view controller context. You're in a, a view context. Um, so you can't necessarily just, like, s- smack a navigation stack in there. Sure. Uh, I don't even know what would happen. So um, that, that context is kind of uh, more limited. But in order for that to work, where things automatically grow based on what's in SwiftUI, uh, they needed to refactor and enhance collection views and table views to automatically grow based on their cell contents, which is, like, another finally moment that has always been, like, a huge headache. Uh, to deal with like you need to find a way of telling the collection view hey please relay out my thing but don't give me new data and like all of that so uh lots of nice improvements in that regard uh which i'm definitely looking forward to playing with in non-swift ui land
1: yeah i think they also added a um uh, sort of a similar thing as far as sizing goes if you like present swift ui views in like a popover i think it's a little bit smarter about that um yeah in it, or I think it's probably just in general in like a UI hosting controller. So um, yeah, good stuff there. Just the intercompatibility between uh, UIKit and SwiftUI. I watched a little bit of that video using SwiftUI and UIKit. I, I haven't quite watched the video in, uh, using SwiftUI in AppKit because I'm not doing anything in AppKit right now, but that's also cool that they're kind of thinking about that as well.
0: Yeah, in the past you'd had to like wrap your UI hosting controller in another view controller, capture the view will layout and then tell Ooh. your hosting controller invalidate the intrinsic size. And then it would have a new size. So then you can go ahead and relay out again um, and like have a whole a whole bunch of code just to support uh, changing what's in Swift UI uh, dynamically, which was always not fun. Um, so yeah, definitely glad to have this though. It sucks that it's only on iOS 16. Um, so (laughs) that's like, I'm always always torn. Yeah. I'm always torn at every WWDC because there's all this new stuff that you can't use. Um, so maybe in two years, we'll remind you of all this stuff. It's like, Hey, like, don't forget you can use this now. Um, it's been available for a while. Uh, and even though it was broken last year, still, uh, like now it's, now it's good. Uh, so you can half use it. (laughs) It's like all these yeah, asterisks I get,
1: right yeah i guess we should just next year for next year's wwdc don't actually cover it but we'll cover 2019 or 2021's wwdc and then we'll just you here's know, all this stuff that got mid-year.
0: deprecated while you weren't looking <laughs>
1: <laughs> so yeah a little bit of a bummer mm-hmm.
0: um and then as like a final note to this um i want to mention that uh paul hudson once again on hacking with swift has a wonderful article of like everything that's new mm-hmm. in swift ui um and there are a bunch of stuff that i just did not know about so uh definitely go check it, uh, check out that link in the show notes to get the full download of everything that's new this week's episode of Code Completion is brought to you by Sticky Widgets. Sticky Widgets is the absolute easiest way to put a sticky note on your home screen and edit it quickly. It's so easy, you never need to open the app itself. Add a sticky widget to your home screen through the iOS home screen editor and tap on its edit. That's about it. Of course, there's tons of customization options as well, font, color, text size, alignment, all conveniently located in the system's edit widget interface. Add as many sticky widgets as you like or put them in a smart stack. Sticky Widgets are digital sticky notes for your phone. Use them however you'd like. Sticky Widgets is a free download on the App Store and additional font and color options are available for a one-time in-app purchase. Thank you so much to Sticky Widgets for sponsoring Code Completion. Check out Sticky Widgets on the iOS App Store today. So I hinted that a surprise had arrived about a week ago um, and it's time to go over it because we're finally out of WWDC uh, craziness. Um, And that surprise is that I got early access to... Uh, the opal c1 camera so this is a webcam uh that has a 4k sensor and it looks it looks very nice um and one thing that i like absolutely loved about it was the packaging is like very apple-esque where there's like lots of origami involved perhaps even more than apple's typical things uh so it's a lot of fun to unbox um and you don't get to see that because i already unboxed it uh but Uh, one other piece that I really like is the camera has a cover and it's just like a magnetic cover with a piece of felt. So it just snaps into place really nicely. Um, but it, it protects the lens itself. So you have a nice lens, you have a nice speaker array. Um, the bottom, uh, kind of mounts on any kind of monitor that you have. It kind of clips in on one side and then, uh, rests via that part over there. Um, so you can position it almost any way you want based on the angle here. It has a nice springy uh, cable to plug into either your computer or your monitor uh, on the back, um, and it has some really nice software that you can have uh, sitting directly in your menu bar to change uh, like the f- the basic camera parameters or even like apply a filter, um, change the resolution, things like that. So. Um, overall it's a really nice camera. I'm looking forward to, uh, using it more now that I'm back at home and, um, and at my like normal setup over there. Uh, so, uh, definitely looking forward to it. Um, and do note that if you want one of these, they cost about $300 and they are, uh, still in early preview, uh, and therefore it's going to be a long time before, Uh, your request to get one kind of pans out. Um, As I understand it, there's like supply line issues and things like this Mm. uh, that almost every company is dealing with. So they're just taking it one step at a time rather than opening up general access um, before they can actually physically do so. So uh, if you're interested, definitely put your name down. Um, They don't charge you until like it's time to purchase it. So uh, that's an easy way to get your spot in line. And uh yeah uh definitely definitely look forward to using it more
1: cool it looks awesome their their website's like super nice but they mentioned like it's got a gnarly like large sensor um on the camera it's 4k and everything that's super cool uh yeah it's it's quite the large device yeah it looks chunky but also i love it's just nice and square the um Mm -hmm. everything looks really good so that you mentioned that it's like those smaller circles or speakers, but are they? Did you mean to say mics or they? Does it have a speaker? I, I thought I meant.
0: I thought I said mic. Um, oh. Yeah, I don't know if any of the quality is coming through, but there's a very nice texture on it, which is kind of like if you took a paintbrush and you did this.
1: Oh yeah uh, yeah okay. Where you kind of like flick the paint and the splotches.
0: Yeah, so there's like a gray undertone, and then there's actual texture of white. Uh, glossy oh, cool, white cool, cool, on top cool, 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 of it cool. so it's it's like a very nice uh textured object um that i realize i already managed to nick it on one of the corners um so um yeah very it feels solid um and yeah. and so far the software seems well written um
1: and yeah
0: uh definitely looking forward to using it
1: okay so let me ask you this though what about continuity camera
0: yeah, so that, that is an interesting thing that got announced and was made <laughs> uh, available via betas. Uh, and that's the key word, available via betas. And I got, mm-hmm. I got burned badly uh, in the betas from two years ago. I didn't even hop on the first betas. I was on the later betas. And my iCloud drive just got completely tanked um, as a result of that. I was losing stuff left and right. Um, I was able to recover some of it. Um, but yeah, I don't think I'll be jumping on the beta train again for quite a while. Um, at least until I get fully tempted. Um, but so far, so far I don't have any iPads that can run stage manager. Um, and Mm. I don't want to be using, uh, stage manager on any of my, like main machines. So it's kind of like pointless to really play around with it, uh, further than that. Uh, So yeah, I don't think I'll be installing the beta on anything, so I will not have Continuity Camera on uh, anything. That said, uh, the iPhone's cameras are excellent, um, especially the rear cameras on the latest flagship models. Uh, So uh, I think that Continuity Camera will be awesome in that regard. It seems to just work in every app, too, so I could potentially, like, we could potentially use it for this context as well. Um, But, yeah, uh, definitely something that is going to be awesome to have. I'm just not sure that, like, I'm going to use it a whole ton because once you have a purpose-built device, like, I don't think this is drastically worse than the iPhone for, like, what I want to use it for, so.
1: No. I was going to say, I would be surprised, honestly. I don't know. Ooh, it's it's a tough guess. I would be surprised if the iPhone outperforms that as a webcam. Mm Mm-hmm. Just so because, it might,
0: it might at 1080, but this can do 4K, and I don't think continuity camera will be pushing no. 4K at least uncompressed to a computer over the network. Um, I don't think that's going to be a likely scenario, right? Yeah. So.
1: And even if it could, the sensor is much smaller on the iPhone, and you know mm-hmm. I, they're both 4K, but sensor size is a huge deal as well. So you know uh, it would be interesting. Don't forget to see.
0: the Don't forget the image. Uh, what's it called the yeah the image uh they have like a name for it oh I'm, it's escaping
1: me um, like the image processing like that whole pipeline yeah
0: yeah yeah that whole pipeline that Apple has that like did such an amazing job on the Apple Studio <laughs> display like that's the best camera we have and uh, clearly computational photography is never gonna have any bumps along the way. <laughs> No, never, <laughs>
1: never, never. Come on, especially if you update the firmware on your on your monitor and everything. Oh wait, mm-hmm. not if it's and not it might crash scientific. along the way. And
0: um, yeah, I don't know what happened there. Like, did Apple not notice that it just does not look good for almost anyone? I ah mean, um, man, like did they did they flub and send the wrong like uh, parts number to the manufacturer and then they put like. <laughs> Bradbury cameras. i really don't get it it doesn't make any sense especially when the ipad with the same feature looks great
1: um so like yeah i don't know but either way i'm super excited to see what <clears throat> what i mean okay so like here's the other thing though with with continuity camera even if it could do 4k you know you you could have it as a replacement or an alternative to the opal then you can't have your phone You know, you you can't use your phone at the same time. And that to me is like, (laughs) I mean, not that I would generally use my phone like on a web call, but like there have been a couple episodes, especially lately where um, I can't remember if we were checking something on the app store, but I did have to grab my phone while we were recording. Um, So there's also that it's just, you know, uh, unusable while it is being used as a webcam. So that's kind of a bummer as well.
0: I mean, the other benefit of using phones on webcams is I have my phone right in front of me right now, and you cannot see it from the webcam, Uh, like, from the magic of uh, perspective. So if I, like, have my hand here, anything below my hand, which is basically covering you, so, like, I have to lift my phone quite a bit uh, Mm -hmm. for it to be visible. Like, I can just say I'm looking at a window down near my dock, and, and, like, no one would be any wiser that I'm uh, just... wasting the meeting time away and getting through (laughs) it as fast as possible uh by not paying attention so um yeah that's where you need that
1: like desk whatever they called it where it uses the ultra wide camera oh no then it will see my phone (laughs) but it's using your phone but i yeah i won't
0: have my phone for that (laughs) instead i'll just be mucking around on my computer yeah um (laughs) (laughs) This is the perfect alternative. Um, Who knew you have a a good computing device right in front of you? It might be slower than your phone. but Anyway, as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Please be sure to follow us on Twitter at CodeCompletion to know exactly when new episodes get released. And feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter for joining me this week. Uh, My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Bunil, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Bye. No, no, I can't use a mouse anymore. Cat hair in the sensor. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Better than a rollerball. Honestly, not sure,
0: because like every like 20 minutes or so, like a very cat hair is like super thin compared to human hair, so it like gets in the crevice of the mm. little sensor. Um, and it's not like you can get it out of there. You have to like pull out tweezers to really like pull it out. Um and it's ever so subtle as you're moving the mouse the the cursor will just like jump in like weird ways um uh, or sometimes it gets like perfectly aligned where just the the mouse does not move in one one direction at all nice um so yeah that's you, just, you have just have to use a trackpad oh ooh shot's called um <laughs> but I was gonna say uh i'm using my uh my Nintendo youth, so I have a representative shirt here. Very nice. Um, Yep, and I'm using the skills that I learned of blowing cartridges uh, back and forth as a harmonica um, to get dust and uh, cat hair out of the cartridge. People say that did nothing. I say they did not own cats. uh, Because if you own cats, (laughs) it did something. uh, Because cats put cat hair everywhere, and that's just part of them being fluffy, cute creatures. They're just fluffy, and part of being fluffy is having micro hairs everywhere and yeah that's fair